This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, welcome to Lake Kick is live. It is Thursday night, September 3rd, the year of our Lord, 2020. We have a jam-packed show. So mad at myself right now. Here's a little behind the scenes, a little inside baseball. When it comes to YouTube, if you run a channel, and I am tasked with running our 24-7 Sports YouTube channel, and you post more than three videos within a 24-hour period, YouTube says, hmm, that's too many videos. We're not sending out notifications to your subscribers for 24 hours. Well, guess what I did? over the past 24 hours. I posted one too many videos. So if you look at this traffic on the live version and it looks like a little bit down compared to normal, it's because it is. Most of you are probably watching the replay later tonight or tomorrow because you didn't get notified because, well, I screwed up. So thank you anyway. We've got a huge show tonight. <laughs> Aside from this, huge numbers this week. You guys have come from all over the place. I have had conservatively dozens to more like 100s or hundreds of emails about finding the show for the first time, listening to the podcast for the first time, loving that we just, we do this crazy thing around here. We just talk about college football. It's crazy. And then we um, leave whatever we believe outside of football, sort of outside the door and it works. Believe it or not, it works. So we got a jam-packed show tonight. There is smoke out of the Big Ten, rumblings. Could we have something happening this weekend? We'll discuss momentarily. The SEC East Seems like it, at the very least, has had the reset button hit on it, if not turned completely upside down, with the opt-out of Jamie Newman at Georgia. We've got intel from several fall camps, the very latest. We try and design this show to where after you come here and you watch it or you listen to it, you are totally caught up with everything you need to know in the world of college football. And Nick Saban's putting on a free clinic. I hope you guys have your notepads out, because, man, he's doing a heck of a job in Tuscaloosa. Not that that's not already known, but in particular, in 2020, even though we haven't played a football game yet, a lot going on there and a lot going on in general. So thank you so much. Subscribe if you haven't already. Give us five-star reviews on the podcast, and let's get to work here. Smoke out of the Big Ten is something brewing in the Big Ten. A lot of noise going on, really, over the last month, but in particular, over the last 24 to 48 hours since you and I last spoke. A lot going on in the Big Ten. Now, let me tell you, let me just kind of cut through all the noise and ask this question. It's the entire premise for everything we're talking about here. It's all I care about. Can you find a way to play football by mid-October? That's all I care about. I don't care about a Thanksgiving start. I don't care about a January start. To be honest, I don't think the latter would even happen. I care about, and most Big Ten fans care about, starting a football season with everybody on board or with 75% of them on board by early to mid-October. Can we do it? Can you get it done? So with that as the backdrop, let's get into it. It is very obvious things are still contentious up there. It is very obvious there are two very distinct camps, the we should play and we can safely play versus the we're not going to chance it for whatever reason crowd. Dave Biddle last night on Bucknuts.com, that is our 24-7 Sports Ohio State site, posted that tentatively, 
and he was hearing this as of last night, presidents and chancellors in the Big Ten had, and I want to stress this word, tentatively agreed on a revote to take place at some point in the very, very near future, end of this week, which we're pretty close to, weekend, early next week. No one's had, really, when something's tentative, you can't have many details nailed down. Now, the same reputable people that I've kind of learned to follow in the Big Ten have cautiously suggested, yes, along with Dave Biddle, sort of hearing the same things. I know a lot of you have heard Dan Patrick say similar things, but just as much as you've heard that, you also have, for instance, CBS Sports' Dennis Dodd today on Twitter. No immediate plan for presidents to meet per multiple sources. One source going as far as to say to Dennis Dodd, October 12th ain't happening. October 12th, an important date because a lot of people suggest that October 10th or 12th, 10th I think is the Saturday, is the latest you could start a Big Ten season up there and still kind of work your way into the stream that everyone else is swimming in and that stream leading to a college football playoff. So that's why I'm asking as the backdrop again, can we get something started by early to mid-October? That's what's most important. It is to me personally mind-boggling that we're still having this debate. That's to me personally Um should be noted. Central Arkansas and UAB are set to play, I think, tonight, maybe kicking off even as we speak. Zero positives this week. Central Florida, or Central Arkansas had a game last week. Seems like about 24 hours ago they had a game. Zero positives. They're finding a way to do it. So uh, that could be anecdotal. I think it's noteworthy. That's why I present it here. I am willing to forget everything. All the criticism that you could have about backtracking and waffling, forget all that. You get this thing off the ground in early to mid-October, I'm willing to forget everything, eraser to the chalkboard, and let's just go with the season. Now, as for what I think about all this, I think something's happening. I think that's pretty obvious. To me, there is too much smoke from people who are very dialed in in the Big Ten to believe that nothing's going on behind the scenes. Now, all the while, What has been going on and what has served as, I think, the impetus behind a lot of this is the lawsuit in Nebraska. People who are dialed in on this know to pay attention. We suggested to you as soon as that thing was filed, the feedback we were getting from folks in the Big Ten was pay attention to this lawsuit in Nebraska. Now, if you haven't been paying attention, the most recent development there was the Big Ten was told you got 10 days to provide in discovery what they're asking for. And most notably, what they're having to provide is they're having to provide an account of what actually happened, what transpired. How did you arrive at the decision you did? Who voted how? And you don't have to really reveal who, but you have to provide us documentation. All this stuff's supposed to be recorded. So you got a sworn affidavit here that says there was a vote taken, yet you got multiple ADs up there that have gone into the media and said, we don't think a vote did happen. We don't know if a vote happened. So provide that. We want some clarity. And I don't think it's any coincidence that as that comes down, you sort of get this reinvigorated notion from behind the scenes that maybe we're considering a revote in the Big Ten. So a few things could be true here. No way to know. I think it is about as fluid and as solid right now as trying to nail jello to the wall. I think one of these things could be in play. The first thing is, for whatever reason, The Big Ten and the powers that be there, the presidents and chancellors, they could be terrified at what that discovery process could reveal. I don't know why that would be. I don't have to know for them to be terrified, though. It should be noted, one of the conditions of this lawsuit 
if you reinstate this season, we're dropping it. Translation, what we normally would have revealed in Discovery doesn't get revealed. So whatever that would be is whatever that would be. But it could be that somebody up there or many people up there are worried enough about what would come out in Discovery that they're willing to overturn their decision to start the season. That's one possibility. Another possibility is they could have decided exactly as they have suggested to postpone the season. They just didn't do it with proper protocol. And so this is to close all the loopholes and just make sure the proper protocols are followed. And it may be that they arrive at the same conclusion. I can't say that that is a a definite impossibility, so therefore, by default, it is a possibility. Maybe this entire thing is to decide to start in late November or January. Hope not, but maybe that's the case. But all the while, I think people with some common sense about themselves are rightfully asking, if this is true, and you've got varying opinions out there as to whether this is even happening, but if this is true, if the Bucknuts report and Dave Biddle's report is true, and there is a revote that is getting set to take place in the Big Ten about restarting the season, would they really allow that to be publicized only to arrive at the same conclusion that they did the first time? Whew, that's tough. It would be very tough to swallow. Now, with that in mind, I think the biggest surprise of the day was not that a bunch of blue check marks in the college football media sphere were fooled by a report that a five-year-old should have seen through that 35% of Penn State football players that had tested positive for COVID also showed signs of myocarditis. Yes, that's right, folks. That was circulating this morning. And people with college degrees and fully functioning brains actually allowed themselves to be fooled into believing what has since been a debunked report by the person who released it himself, a doctor at Penn State. But it really didn't matter. Common sense didn't matter because there's an agenda being pushed really on both sides here. And so that wasn't the big surprise because the folks who are being dunked on this afternoon for falling for that get dunked on every day for a variety of things. What surprised me today was the governor of Michigan doing a hard 180 on her opinion as to whether high school and college football should be played in her state up there. And high school football is about to go off now. September 17th, I want to say, is the date that they're going to get started with high school football in Michigan. It has been rumored that Michigan and the political scenes behind football in Michigan were one of the main roadblocks in this entire process. If that's true, I have to believe only good news could come from the governor's reversal today when it comes to high school football in the state of Michigan. The other thing to watch late this afternoon from the West Coast is the Pac-12, Larry Scott and company out there coming forward and saying, we think we have a breakthrough. We think we really have made strides in testing here. Don't know how readily we'll be able to clear the final hurdles necessary for us to take the field. But here's all that I and some of you heard when that news came out today. You heard really good news, okay? That's good news on the surface. But behind the scenes, what it could mean and what it could tempt a lot of people, and I hope this doesn't happen, but what it could tempt some people in the Big Ten to do is, okay, well, let's find common ground here, happy medium. We're not going to wait till the spring, but we're also not going to start October 10th. Let's try and marry up with the Pac-12, and let's go for our Thanksgiving start, and kind of we'll just play our seasons in a parallel fashion, and we'll have a good old-fashioned February Rose Bowl which I don't think a whole lot of people would be crazy about. So let's hope, let's hope, I'm not necessarily saying it's even against hope, let's just hope that what is rumored to be taking place this weekend is something that actually takes place this weekend, because I think it is past time for common sense to prevail in the Big Ten.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. All right, let's move on. We had a big breaking news day yesterday, and my goodness, did you guys watch that video, that Jamie Newman video. Colin, yesterday I texted him, I said, hey, Jamie Newman opted out. And I guess he thought I was joking. I mean, I would have thought I was joking if I didn't look at it in front of me. But I said, man, let's, let's get a video up. I mean, we don't have an episode of Late Kick Live on Mondays or, or what was yesterday, Wednesday, but let's get a let's get a video up. So we did, and whew, that thing took off like a rocket. So Jamie Newman opts out at Georgia. That was the big news yesterday. We're not going to waste a whole lot of time reacting to necessarily Jamie Newman here. I will just quickly, my rapid reaction, I was surprised by it. Very surprised in the moment. Now, if you zoom out a little bit, it's not the craziest thing in the world to see a guy who has NFL aspirations, and there are wild swings in how people mock draft him. Some people would say he's a fringe first rounder. Some people would say he's like a day two, day three guy. So a professional scout, I am not. He plans on playing Sunday football. And so you got a school of thought out there that said, He got himself in that competition with JT Daniels, saw that he was not going to be the slam dunk starter there, and understood the risk-reward of following through and the risk being potentially being overtaken, which totally plummets your draft stock. And so whether that was the train of thought or not, that's one of the conclusions people jump to. The other is the statement that Jamie Newman made, which was, I'm concerned about COVID-19, so I'm opting out. I don't have any information to the contrary, so I'm not going to be the one who sits there and disputes that. I don't care anymore is the point. We already know Jamie Newman's not playing for Georgia. So let's talk about the guys who are playing for Georgia and let's talk about what it means for them and also what it means for the SEC East. I'd be mad. I'd just be honest with you here. You got every right to opt out. I have no problem with that. But just as you have a right to opt out, I got a right to be grade A pissed off if I'm in that locker room or if I'm a coach and you just took half of a camp's worth of first team reps at the quarterback position when we're trying to install a new offense with a new offensive coordinator and then you decide to walk out the door. I got every right to be mad at that if I'm in that locker room. So I'd be mad at it and I think a lot of folks at Georgia are mad about it, but you can't worry about it now. I mean, I'm sitting here telling you sitting behind a microphone it's time to move on. I hope you've already moved on if you're a player or a coach at Georgia. So what does it mean for them? Well, what it means first is just what I said. 
there's a lot of complexity for obvious reasons this year for a normal football team if you return all all your coordinators and whatnot. But you got a new quarterback, regardless of who it was going to be. You got a new coordinator, and you have no spring, and that creates the obvious struggles and obstacles in your way that we've been talking about for quite a while. JT Daniels transfers in. As sure as Colin remembered, as sure as we sat here two months ago when he transferred in, and we did a whole segment on our inbox being full of Georgia fans saying, this is a bad move. We already got a quarterback. This will only upset the quarterback room. How do you feel now? And if you come to me and you say, well, maybe Newman opted out because we took Daniels, point still remains. If that's all it took to run a guy off, you didn't have the right guy to begin with. And if Daniels was unrelated to the reasons why Newman left, then our point remains too. So I think we win on that one. Now, you have a former five-star guy, five-star potential. Uh, he is not cleared medically to take contact right now. Everybody in Athens believes he will be cleared by week one at Arkansas. So what do we have? We got JT Daniels there, who I would suggest is the front runner, obviously the leader in the clubhouse here, to be the starting quarterback for Georgia when the season finally arrives. Dewan Mathis is a guy everyone at Georgia loves. This is a guy who has overcome a whole lot. I don't have time to chronicle his journey. If you don't know about it, Google Dewan Mathis after the show goes off the air. I think that he is giving a spirited competition up there right now and will be given a chance to win this job. And I think a lot of people are rooting for him uh, for obvious reasons. However, behind him, Stetson Bennett is probably, I think he's the only other guy up there besides um, JT Daniels who has taken snaps. Uh, he's probably not the option you go with. And Carson Beck just got in town like 15 minutes ago. So he's probably not a guy who's going to be ready this year. My biggest concern about this is, number one, Georgia was going to be able to do a lot. Georgia was going to be able to present a lot of challenges because Georgia had two starting caliber quarterbacks, really. Um, Kind of in the way that Alabama had with Tua and Jalen Hurts. I'm not saying in terms of talent, they're totally comparable, but in terms of dynamic, it was comparable. So now you take away that element. You take away a ton of first-team reps that were, let's call it like it is, wasted on Jamie Newman, and now you're trying to get a guy who is rehabbing himself from injury last year into a new offense on a truncated timetable against a schedule that's front-loaded. The meat of Georgia's schedule is not in November. The meat of their schedule is week two against Auburn, week three against Tennessee, week four against Alabama, week five against Kentucky. They got uh, Florida a couple of weeks later. That's it. I mean, that's not it literally, but that is really in terms of games that are losable for Georgia, that they have any business struggling in. Let me say it like that. That's it. You don't have a month and a half to get up to cruising altitude offensively is my point. And let me tell you, when JT Daniels transferred to Georgia, I had someone very respected in the, uh, let's just call it the football industry, shall we? Someone very respected reached out to me and said, let me tell you what the biggest concern is internally about JT Daniels. He is a guy with elite tools, but he is not a guy who is near his ceiling in terms of potential yet. And a lot of people don't believe Georgia is the place to get him there. That's not my feedback. That's the feedback that I got from someone. So I understand the sentiment there because Georgia has not exactly under Kirby Smart to this point, um, and you're really looking at Jake Fromm. I mean, that's what you're looking at. Jake Fromm was a guy who in 2017 was pressed into action, and right or wrong, people look at that situation and say, he didn't get really a whole lot better from 2017. Okay. I mean, that's one case study. So, I mean, if we're going to extrapolate that out, and that's how every quarterback under Kirby Smart, even with a new offensive coordinator, is going to be, then okay. 
I'm kind of in the remains to be seen category on that. But this hurts Georgia. I don't think there's any question about that. And by default, anything that hurts Georgia helps Florida. Anything that hurts Georgia helps Tennessee. That front-loaded schedule is such that probably one of the crazier things that could happen in the SEC East this year would be Tennessee beating Georgia in week uh, three. Or Yeah, I think it's week three. How crazy is it? So you got Auburn in there week two. And that's a game where always competitive, always a knockdown, drag out, knife fight. And then between the times you play Auburn and the times you play Alabama, that's when Tennessee rolls into town. And Tennessee it will be one of the most physical teams in America this year. I fully believe that. They got to be to maximize their potential. And so I really think about that, and I really think about what Jeremy Pruitt's able to do defensively. And they got adequate personnel this year. And I just I try and envision this is where I'm having trouble with Georgia. They are asking us at 24-7. I mean, it is past the deadline to turn in our SEC championship game picks, and I still don't know what I'm doing in the East. Still don't. And I probably need to arrive at a conclusion pretty quickly. But that's how torn I am on that. And the reason I'm torn is because I'm trying to envision what that offense looks like with Georgia, and it's tough. It's really tough. And if anyone out there tells you they have a definitive idea, you don't even know definitively who's starting a quarterback. And if you thought so 24 hours ago, then you've had to hit the reset button. So for that reason, I think it's more than fair to talk about hitting the reset button here. And with every day that passes and with every day that I get more confident in, for example, Florida's run game and every day I get more confident in uh, Tennessee's offensive line and just facets of these teams. And then I look up there in Athens and I say, well, a lot of my encouragement around you was attached to Jamie Newman at quarterback, and he's not there anymore. It doesn't push Georgia you know, down the Plinko chart any, but it certainly turns that into an anyone's ballgame sort of deal in the SEC East again. So we got predictions coming very soon in the East, so i got to nail myself down one way or the other. Now let's talk about camp intel. There's a whole lot going on, a whole lot you need to know, and let's get right to it. I love the competition going on at Texas not just one position. We have talked about this, I think, uh, a few times now. Uh, Chip Brown and Taylor Estes, the folks over on Horns 24-7, have done a really good job uh, chronicling this. You know, Brennan Eagles, for example, just to pull some names out of hats. Brennan Eagles is a guy who's a returning starter at wide receiver out there. Uh, They had a true freshman who, before he got hurt, had already passed him by on the depth chart. Tariq Black is a transfer, I think, from Michigan, who is giving him a very strong competition at that ex-receiver position. At the running back position, too, Keontae Ingram, now he admittedly has been a little banged up. I mean, he's thought to be your starter. I would imagine if you're picking up your preview magazines, he's listed as the starter. They got two they think are just as good and have performed just as good or better in camp. Bijan Robinson, and we talked about Rashawn Johnson. I could not be any more excited about Rashawn Johnson. And I think people at Texas think that way and then some. The one area that I've kind of been watching and I keep seeing it talked about is I think they feel really good about the left side of that offensive line. The right side, that's something that is worth monitoring. I think they open against UTEP. Don't necessarily know how much we're going to learn in that game, but there are several layers of this team. We talked about the competition at DB too. When I start reading practice reports and I start getting intel from insiders close to a team, and you're talking about returning starters possibly being bumped down the depth chart, virtually every team who has ever contended for a championship, you hear that about them. That doesn't mean every team that has that happening is going to contend for a championship. But if you reverse engineer it, 
that's what practice is like in the preseason. You got guys who on a normal team would probably be referred to as incumbent starters. On the championship caliber teams, those playoff contending teams, that's not the way it works because they recruit so well that by default, their true freshmen in some cases are better than their returning starters the day the freshmen step on campus. That's happening. That's happening at Texas. That's a really, really good sign. LSU's defensive line is another thing that I've got my eye on very, very closely. Obviously, because of the attrition down there, most uh, recently, Tyler Shelvin opting out of the season. They've had several guys along the defensive front that are supposed to be there that aren't there. And as a result, this is no mystery, but Ed Orgeron kind of confirming this, they got true freshmen that they're going to have to count on on the defensive line. That's not a place anyone wants to be in the SEC. And these true freshmen that they're going to be counting on are about as talented as it gets. So make no mistake about that. Uh, Gilroy and uh, Roy, who kind of sound like the same person, but they're not, those are studs, both of them were guys that could have gone anywhere they wanted to. But here's the thing. They're true freshmen. And so you just say that out loud generically. You want multiple true freshmen starting for you on the defensive line? Well, of course you don't. But the fact of the matter is LSU has to have that. And so the reason why those guys have to pan out, I mean, they have to be all, I'm not going to say all SEC caliber, but they have to be able to stand in there for, what, 10 weeks this year? And they have to be able to do it as true freshmen, which most true freshmen aren't fully equipped to do at this level, is because there is not much behind them. That's the depth situation there right now. And as a result, it's no mystery. When you talk about Auburn or AM or Alabama, they, they'll run it 50 times at you if that's what it takes. They don't care. Uh, the pounding that you got to take in this league, you know about it. You're LSU, man. You pride yourself on doing it. And this is not even to venture into the murky area of what ifs. Because you know what the what-ifs are. The what, you think the worst case has already happened, but see, we haven't even started the season yet. The worst case for 2020 hasn't happened yet. Worst case would be, you know, God forbid you wake up tomorrow morning and you've had an injury to one of these remaining defensive linemen, or, you know, you're rolling into week four and someone sprains their ankle Thursday at practice. The depth situation is very perilous there. Uh, they have immense potential in these kids, immense potential. But they are true freshmen. These are not guys that they wanted playing 60 to 65 snaps in a game as true freshmen, and they're going to have to now. Uh, Let's shift it back. I didn't break this down a whole lot when we were talking about Georgia, but just quickly, that Georgia offensive situation, the quarterback situation, and then the offensive situation, because there is uncertainty there right now, and because of that schedule being so front-loaded, JT Daniels, I I will maintain that I think he's going to win that job uh, after a spirited competition with Dewan Mathis. But wide open is the way that I saw Rusty Menzel over at Dogs 24-7 referring to that quarterback battle at Georgia. And I don't doubt that. I just think that JT Daniels is going to be the guy who emerges on top. And I think most people in Georgia circles believe that. But here's what I'm most excited about with Georgia. When you start reading practice reports and talking to some folks in Athens, and they talk about Zamir White, There hasn't been this much excitement around Zamir White since he committed. Zamir White's a guy who's had a couple of uh, knee injuries himself, and now he was back last year, and it's one of those classic, let's get two years removed from rehab and surgery and let's see what we have. Well, it looks like, cautiously optimistic here, it looks like what we have in Zamir White is what everyone hoped and expected he'd be all along. 
You hope that's the case because I don't exactly get the impression that the game plan in week one or two or three will consist of Georgia trying to go out and throw the ball 55 or 60 times. So I don't think that there's any, at the very least, what yesterday probably did is it probably confirmed there is no radical offensive shift coming to Georgia this year. They're going to lean on defense heavily and with good reason, probably going to have the best one in America if I had to put my money on it. And they are going to try and pound people into oblivion like they've always tried to do. Zamir White being 100%, who is a physical specimen if you ever stand next to him, by the way, that's a big part of that equation. And then the other part of the equation is the other thing that they're trying to figure out there offensively, aside from the wide receiver core. So I guess there are a couple of other things, but that offensive line, you got a new coach in there, Matt Luke, everyone loves him, great recruiter, but you got a lot of new pieces there. And just like the quarterback position, what are you doing? I mean, you're rolling into fall camp, you're on a truncated timetable, and you got Arkansas a couple of weeks away, and after that, it gets real in a hurry. Got to have that stuff figured out. Got to have it figured out. Now, the last team that I wanted to talk about here is Miami. Miami starts a little earlier than the SEC does. They play UAB next week. I want you to pay attention to this game. Uh, Miami is not some six-touchdown favorite in this game. UAB is favored by many people to win their conference this year. Uh, Bill Clark has done a great job resurrecting that program, not figuratively. They didn't exist four years ago. They were out of action, totally. I mean, Bill Clark was sitting at home on Saturdays watching games. So UAB's back. They have replenished that roster. And so Miami's favored by 16, and this game's at Miami. So how does Miami's offensive line look this year? Because last year, I remember this time of year, actually, last year everyone was saying the same thing they're saying right now, and that sentence is, We'll go as far as this offensive line will take us. Well, it turns out there were more questions than just the offensive line at Miami last year. However, that was a big one. And I think it's fair to say that the offensive line is still the biggest question to me on this team going into this year. They started two true freshmen on the offensive line last year. I'll tell you one of the biggest differences when you look at experience with them is this year, every starter, preseason starter, projected starter on that offensive line will enter this year having at least two years of experience in college under their belt. Everyone will at least be in their third year. So I certainly wouldn't say that's a bad thing. It remains to be seen how much better a thing that is. But they were horrible running the ball last year. Awful. Pretty much every offensive metric was awful last year. And I'll tell you the other thing I was looking at over on our Miami 24-7 site, inside the U.com, the guys over there were talking about another thing that I think you've heard a lot from down there, and that is how much better equipped they are at the offensive tackle positions. Last year, they had guys at tackle that they didn't really, in an ideal world, want at tackle. And through the transfer market, now they are able to push guys around and put tackles at tackle, guards at guards, center at center. And that's really good because you got some really good edge rushers in the ACC, and you better be equipped to handle them. And with all that, now we wait one more week and change, and we finally get to see Rhett Lashley and Derek King, and we get to see that running back stable that we hope will be completely transformed, and we get to see finally how legit a threat is Miami going to be in the ACC this year. I saw I was over on the board the other night with Miami, and I I told them, and I'll tell you, we at twenty four seven Sports we're we're doing our season predictions and we're turning them in, and we're going to release those early next week. So look forward to that. And I, we were doing order of finish in the ACC, and I, I was looking around just for fun. And some people have Miami finishing like seventh or eighth in the ACC. I have no clue what people are smoking. I really don't. 
And you don't have to pick them to beat Clemson by any stretch, but my goodness, I understand what the questions are. You're telling me that you have six other programs? You're telling me half of that conference is just about? You're more confident in than Miami. That's interesting to me. I, hey, predictions are predictions for a reason, but uh, suffice to say, I will not have Miami finishing uh, sixth or seventh in the ACC. I wanted to wrap up with this. Nick Saban has been putting on an absolute clinic at Alabama. Really, you could argue for the better part of like a decade and a half now, but In 2020, he's really been putting on a clinic. I'll tell you what, the best part to me about our 24-7 Sports YouTube channel is and the the Late Kick podcast feed, it's free to subscribe. You don't have to pay anything. I mean, the best things in life sometimes cost a lot of money, let's be real. But this is free, and that's why I love it so much, and that's why you should love it so much. And subscribe if you haven't already. Five-star reviews appreciated. But here's the thing. What does that have to do with Nick Saban? He's been putting on a clinic all offseason. And it's also been free. If you have been paying attention as a fan, as a coach, as an athlete, have you been paying attention? You know those stereotypes about age and, you know, the older you get, the more set in your ways you are and you stop learning and you're slow to adjust. Well, Nick Saban regularly shatters those and he has uh, really to a critical degree in this offseason. Let's talk about all the issues that college programs have faced. And let's talk about how this dude has dealt with them. The first thing was recruiting. Uh, what was it? It was May. I wrote down the date. May 14th. Nick Saban joined us for about 20, 25 minutes. Had a great talk with him. And I asked him about recruiting. At the time, in the 24-7 sports team rankings, Alabama was ranked somewhere in the 40s. And so I asked, because it was obvious there were different approaches being taken in recruiting. I asked him, hey, um, how are you handling this? No camps? You can't go out on the road. The spring evaluation period has been shot. Everyone's in quarantine. How are you going to handle this? And, you know, a lot of the fans were freaking out. And he kind of yawned and shrugged his shoulders and said, we'll be all right. <laughs> That's pretty much what he said. We'll be fine. Uh, you know, we, we, we have confidence in the way that we're doing things. Today is September 3rd. Alabama is neck and neck with Ohio State for the number one recruiting class in the country. And it is what? September 3rd. So, I mean, they've got a ways to go before even the early signing date, if we still stay on track for that. Uh, He has put on a recruiting clinic, the likes of which you've even rarely seen if you're an Alabama fan. What was issue number two? And we're obviously not going in chronological order here because a lot of people were, I'm talking about five alarm freaked out by losing the strength coach there, Scott Cochran. I mean, there were reputable people in the college football world, who said, it's obvious things are crumbling up there, man. I mean, this is a sign that things are shifting in the SEC. We fast forward a few months, and I talk to people at Alabama regularly. I don't know that I have ever seen this collective level of excitement about players, period, much less personnel and staff, as I've seen about the new sports science and strength conditioning duo they hired in Matt Ray and David Ballou out of Indiana. I, uh, you know, when they, when we've talked about that, a lot of you have been sarcastic. A lot of you have said, oh, really? I'm supposed to be scared of guys that were at IMG Academy a few years ago in Indiana. I don't really care how you feel about it. I'm just, I would advise you to watch Alabama this year and in the coming years and take a look at how thin that injury list is so far this off season. I hope this desk is made of wood. I just knocked on it. Uh, going to be a big difference. Let me just from everybody there to a man going to be a big difference. So weather that storm quite nicely, and it turns out it really wasn't a storm at all. It was more an opportunity. What's issue number three, Ben? COVID, obviously. 
And again, this is in no particular order. COVID and player safety and all the freak out over what was going to happen when you get kids back on campus. And not only have they, and to the conference's credit, a number of other teams in the conference been at the forefront of this, but hey, Nick Saban's also been at the forefront on messaging, and they've probably handled it in about as spectacular a fashion as a program, as an organization, as anyone. You haven't seen headlines, even as the general population at the University of Alabama has been in the headlines for the wrong reasons. Football program, taking care of themselves, basically bubbling themselves. Issue number four, and it's cropped up big time in the SEC, opt-outs, roster churn. Now, again, this stuff could change tomorrow, but I've listened to a number of his players talk about this, and I've listened to him himself, Nick Saban, talk about this. His players sound just like him. When talking about this, his players have sounded just like him. I don't know if people understand how big a skill that is to be in your, what is he, late 60s, early 70s, and to get 18 and 19-year-old kids to adopt your mentality. You know how hard that is? 18, 19-year-old kids who are the best in the world at what they do, by the way, to adopt your mentality, but yet they sound like robots. They're all singing the same tune. And so I don't get the sense that you have a whole lot of opt-outs coming from Alabama, and that's as your neighbors down in Baton Rouge are dealing with it blow after blow after blow. And I listen to Alabama's players and I don't think it's coming. And the other thing, and I really couldn't care less one way or the other where you fall on this. I mean, when I say I couldn't care less, I mean, I really, really, really couldn't care less. But the whole uh, social unrest deal that's happened over the past few weeks, if you were to just hit mute on your TV and just watch the images, um, I would imagine there are some PR firms out there who are being paid millions to tens of millions of dollars, who would not be able to deliver a more picture-perfect result than what Alabama's ended up getting out of all this. Do you understand what that right there does? Again, let me pause and reiterate, regardless of what you think one way or the other. If I'm Nick Saban, my job's really to listen, and so that's what he's done. And um, I listened to what he said. I didn't really find anything all that controversial, to be honest with you. But my goodness, PR firms, free of charge, haven't charged a dime, watch and learn. And then, by the way, if you don't think that that's a clinic being put on, just trust me when we hear some things that are happening behind the scenes with other programs, that is a clinic that's being put on. And that is why that team in Tuscaloosa is once again going to be one of the very few favorites to win the national championship this year. And with that, we're just about out of time. Uh, A reminder, by the way, we released our second of two Late Kick Extra podcasts for this week earlier today. We're doing that two times a week now. We do Late Kick Live, as you're watching right now, three times a week. As I told you uh, Tuesday night, and I'm going to reiterate now, we are getting great feedback from our management, essentially, because of you. You guys have been subscribing, the comments, um, the, the Twitter traffic, the five-star reviews, the comments here. Everything has gone through the roof. We had e- easily our best traffic day. What was it, Colin? Monday. Um, so we continue to set records and then break those records and set records again and break those again. And I say we because it's you doing it because we could do this show in an echo chamber and it wouldn't matter one bit. So thank you so much. We continue to tailor the show based on your wants and your requests. Keep them coming. You are also what drives those Late Kick Extra podcasts, which are just Q&A. So continue to send me questions. And uh, I had one today that had nothing to do with football. Someone asked me about 
the most chance encounters that I've had at games. And so I told a story, I think it's like the second question in today's podcast. I told a story about how in a seven day span, I got kicked off an elevator for the governor of Louisiana and the president of the United States. Seven day span, got cut in line twice. So I haven't had really good luck at press elevators, but we have been having good fortune with this show. So I'll take that trade off. Thank you so much for director Colin, for Jordan, who's been doing a good job in his own right. Brand new to the podcast team, along with Tani. I am Josh Pate. This has been Late Kick Live. Thank you so much for watching. Have a great rest of your evening and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey.